Well, you do make a difference, and it is wonderful. We are neighbors. Yes, we are. Yeah, Office I hear neighbors. Byron singing through the wall sometimes. He'll deny it, but I heard it. Just another kind of free form rock and roll. Make you groove solo, maybe want to tap a toe. Just another kind of free form rock and roll. Make you groove solo, maybe want to tap a toe. Welcome back to Pullcast. This is Madison Fantosi. And I'm your co-host, Leah Bartholomew. This episode is in honor of those who have served our country as we celebrate Veterans Day. We are thrilled to have coordinator of Polk State's Veteran Services, Byron Lloyd, here with us today. He is a retired U.S. Army Command Sergeant Major and provides support for individuals who are transitioning from military life to college. Thanks for joining us today. We're so excited to have you here. Great. Glad to be here. Awesome. So for starters, will you tell us a little bit about your background in military? Okay, as you mentioned before, I'm a Command Sergeant Major, U.S. Army, retired, 27 years, active duty. My deployments are from Operation Desert Storm, Desert Shield, through Operation Enduring Freedom. I was a combat engineer, paratrooper, which is which I loved. Uh, my experiences and experience as serving all the way up the enlisted chain has helped me connect with all veterans at all branches. I've served jointly. At the senior level, I was a teacher, coach, mentor, uh, starting as a sergeant through Command Sergeant Major. I've had thousands under my command, so it was a paramount that I knew each and every one in some form of fashion. As with my veterans, I feel I have a great rapport with them because we can relate to career stories or issues, no matter what rank they achieved or branch they served. You said being a paratrooper was one of your favorite things. Why? Only the courageous jump out of airplanes, a perfectly good airplane. Uh, that was our way of um, getting to where we needed to go. We called it force entry, sky soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would jump into a lot of our trainings and uh, mainly our trainings, ne- no, nothing a lot of in, in the war zone, but we did a lot of our trainings when we would jump in on the objective and instead of catching the uh, transportation in, but we would always catch transportation out coming back in to um, after training. But again, I, I really loved that because it was something that a lot of folks couldn't and would not do. Do you remember the first time you jumped out of the plane? Yes, I can remember. I was initially afraid of heights uh, before I went in. And I said, well, when I wanted to go in, I wanted to be a combat engineer because I wanted to do the things that combat engineers do, which is explosive demolitions, landmines, and uh, bridge demolitions, and then jump out of airplanes because I wanted to get over my fear of heights. Um, it helped a little bit, but you, you think about it when you're up 1,200 plus feet and you're jumping out on a suspended object and you're just coming down with a parachute that's, you know, holding you and your weight. You know, you could, you know, lose air and fall fast or you could fall slow. But uh, it was a very prestigious job because, again, you know, we were the ones that would jump in before anything any of the uh, non-conventional forces would jump in and we would say, okay, this is this is us. This is how we do it. This is what we're going to do. Uh, again, a pre- very prestigious. Takes a toll out on your body. Yeah. Takes a toll out on your body. Of have damaged some things on my body, some limbs and some joints and some sockets and all. But again, if I had to do it again, I would go, i do it all over again and jump out of airplanes because of the prestige it brought me while serving. That's awesome. Can I ask, like, how much weight are you carrying when you, so you're jumping, 
and you're just landing and you're going to go from there and do whatever you got to do. So like how much weight besides yourself are you carrying? Well, you, you have your um, main parachute and a reserve parachute, uh, which and then you have your Alice pack at the time when I was jumping and then and now it's called Molly. But it's a um, rucksack, basically a pack where you pack all your necessities out there that you're going to survive. Because if you're jumping into the objective, you don't have to, you have already bypassed all of the uh, supplies that's needed. So you jump with the necessities, which might not necessarily be a bunch of T-shirts and, and, and food that you need, but you jump with necessity of food that you jump in with, um, but you would jump in with uh, other supplies that's needed to accomplish the mission, such as demolition, the bolt cutters, the uh, spare barrels of the weapons you're carrying, the more ammunition. So you're jumping with a lot of that, making it heavy. So you have 80 and 90 pounds that's hanging below your reserve parachute when you jump out. And there was methods that we had to do once we jump out. You know, you have to release it so it hits the ground first. So it kind of release some of that weight. But if you was a heavy guy like I am and was, you hit the ground pretty hard and fast. Whereas someone who's real light, even though they're carrying that 80, 90 pound pack, they're still hanging up in the air for a while. Right. So you got to get the timing right. Yes. Release, land. Release, land. Tuck and roll. Tuck and roll, pretty much. Wow. But nine times out of ten, it was always tuck, roll, 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 or roll, roll, tuck. Because (laughs) the wind shifts... Yeah. Um, and changes your, your landing pattern. Wow. Well, listening to you tell a little bit about your experience, I can't even begin to comprehend, you know, what you've what you've gone through. So what is it like, you know, in the position that you're in now to have students coming in where you can share those experiences and they understand where you're coming from and you also can, you know, be a mentor to those students? Again, because of the level I made it to, the uh, top of the chain of the enlisted rank, where you go from E1 to E9, and I I went through E1 through E9 in those 27 years. I was a teacher, coach, mentor, and starting at the sergeant level, that's when I really had troops up under me that I had to mentor. You know, it grew from 8 into 80, so forth, and up to the thousands as a command sergeant major uh, at the level I was. Um, Again, I took pride in knowing a little something about those soldiers and a lot of folks would ask me, well, how do you know your soldiers? So I might not have known their names per se, but I would look at a crowd and I can pick out and say, that's a soldier in my unit. That's a soldier in my unit. That's a soldier in my unit. And if I had any closer contact with them, of course, I could call them by name. Mm-hmm. But the way I'm, I'm, I treat this job is with the uh, veteran students, I take pride in you know helping them going that extra mile because I know, you know, that's what I did as a mentor, as a command sergeant major, down from a first sergeant down to the platoon sergeant and things that the ranks I were. Mm-hmm. Again, it um, I look at these students that are coming in now, there are younger soldiers than I was or they're younger rank than I was. So they need that guidance still. I'm giving them that sergeant major love, that guidance, because some of them will find out what rank I retired as, and then they start addressing me as that. It's not a requirement. No, I introduced myself as Byron Lloyd, coordinator of veteran services. But once they find out my background and see, then they know, oh, he knows how to take care of soldiers because he's been there. He has taken care of soldiers, so he's going to take care of me as a student. And that's what I try to lean on, too, taking care of all of those different branches of as I was in those leadership positions. 
I could walk across campus or whatever, and they would yell and dress me as Sergeant Major. I respond and tell them, no, I, I, you know, you don't have to call me that. But they said, no, we, we respect because, again, that rank that I achieved, you know, it was a powerful rank structure. And um, they, you know, they understood what I did for soldiers when uh, as they are what as they were soldiers. They understand that. So, again, I, I take pride in taking care of my veterans, um, knowing my veterans and kind of knowing about them and knowing where I can guide them to the left or right of uh, outreach, things like that, because they don't necessarily come here for schooling. Well, let me back up. They do come here for schooling, but they also come with other baggages as of homelessness or on the brink of being homeless, uh, on the brink of, you know, can't take care of their family or can't, you know. And in the military, we had mechanisms that would take care of that. You know, we had dining halls where they can take their family if need be, or we had special housing we can put them in until they got to where they can provide provide for them family on the outside. But again, going back to I take pride in my job. Uh, I like what I do. I like what I do for the veterans. Um, I get feedback that I do decent. Um, again, because that's what I did in the military. It's like me giving back to to the uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guards, all of those that I service here at Polk State. What are some of the challenges that these individuals encounter when they're trying to transition from military life to becoming a college student? The, the transition would be um, <clears throat> getting out and fitting into civilian life. Because again, in the military, you've structured. You know what you're going to be doing at 4.30 in the morning. You know where you're going to be after you know physical training. You're going to know how far you're going to run. You're going to know how far you have to carry that 80-pound rucksack. You got to know how much you have to shoot to qualify on your weapons, the certain weapons you have. You got to know uh, from point A to point B where you're going to be. Um, and in coming into the civilian structure, it's, yeah, you know what you have to do as far as your degree audit. But if you don't have that guidance or that structured guidance to get you, you know, okay, show me the degree audit. Show me what it says from A to B, C, D, E, F. Okay, then I got it. But if you're just shown A and expected to pick up B, C, D, and E, that's where uh, a lot of veterans get agitated when, okay, you know, you didn't show me all the task conditions and standards. That's what we called it uh, when we were uh, doing our trainings. Teach me the task, show me the conditions, and here are the standards. Okay, now if you taught me that, I should know how to go further in this uh, task that we're getting ready to do. Um, and that's some of the challenges, again, that a veterans face because, you know, you're not they're not shown or shown to where they're what they what they know of. Again, they you know, I knew where I had to be, knew what I had to do, knew what was going to go on. Yeah, and here's contingencies. If this didn't happen in this way, so this is where we do it. If case it failed this way, then we do it another way. Um, but a lot of them, they, they don't see that the sense of urgency. Uh, we want it done, talk, tell, told us up front that what we need to do so we can get it done versus getting told one um, one thing at one office and then going to another office and getting told something that I'm playing, I'm being ping-ponged back and forth. Tell me what I need to know all at this office right. so I won't have to come back here anymore. 
And then when I go to this office, tell me all what I need to know so I won't have to go back to the other office. Mm -hmm. Transitioning is very hard for a veteran, um, especially depending on how much they had time to prep for transition before they got out of the military. Um, and case in point for me, I mean, I had six months to prepare for getting out. So all of the medical I had to do, all of the, you know, getting houses, household goods and things shipped from one place to the other, getting things situated. I had that six months to do because I had folks to guide me then said, this is what you need to do, you know, as I got older in the military. But if, you know, you have individual uh, service persons that get out just on, on within a you know two week thirty day time frame, they don't really have a time to do all of that medical. They just you know if they want to get out, I want to get out. I want to get out. I want to get out because I just can't. I don't like it anymore. Or um, something happened medically, so I can't stay in anymore. So I want to get out. I want to get out. I want to be a civilian now. But if they don't transition properly, you know, it sets them up for failure. Right. It sets them up for failure when they're um, coming into any civilian sector, whether it's college or whether it's going into a Amazon or Geico or places like that um, in, in any area to go to. So what are some of the services that veterans have available to them at your office? Uh, initially, they, they come for education benefits. I've had veterans come in there to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm about to lose my home or I'm about to be homeless uh, from where I'm staying or I'm getting kicked out from staying with friends or family. I need, you know, can, can you find me somewhere to, to offer, I mean, to live. So what I have done, I'm connected with the outside community and within the local community community of homeless veterans, um, shirtless veterans, a lot of those agencies, they call them like that. Um, I go to uh, the, the Polk County Veterans Council meeting every uh, second Tuesday of the month, and there's different agencies in there that offer help to veterans. So I'm connected that way. Per se, my office, we do not have, you know, Polk State does not offer anything within the homeless part, of the, within the veteran community. They have the uh, My Brother's Keeper that does that for a lot of the students, not just veterans. But I, always, I can guide veteran students to the outside agencies or where they need to go to help, to hopefully help them from being homeless or to help them with paying some bill here or bill there, um, you know, finding jobs. Uh, so I'm very connected, again, with the outside community as well as, as, well as the local community. Well, that makes you and your office a very valuable resource for those students. So. I would like to say we, um, we do. I mean, because if you can come into my office, you can see uh, the pamphlets and the literature I have that a veteran can come in and say, okay, wow, I didn't know this program existed for veterans within Polk County or within the state of Florida. And they take it and they, you know, they use it or they don't use it or they read about it. Um, but again, for my office, outside of the veterans education benefits, you know, I'm helping them sign up for those benefits if they hadn't done it through transition mm -hmm. in the um, when they're getting out of the military. Uh, I don't turn any veteran away from trying to help him or her. You know, if they call and I know it's nothing with education, I'm going to find out where they need to be or where can I send them, Polk County, whatever county, 
oh, this is who you need to go in Polk County, and he or she would direct you to where you need to go. Like that, I will, I will never turn a veteran away from trying to help them. And, you know, with not just for education, I will help them outside of education. You know, again. So. What I also love about your office, back on your office, mm-hmm. is um, you have a lot, a really neat display um, with a bunch. You have the American flag, but then you have a bunch of coins and you have a bunch of medals. Can you talk about some of your favorite medals that you have? Those uh, that you, you've seen, um, it's just a little bit that I've put up my challenge coins, a few plaques of memorable, memorable units that I've been in. Uh, I have one in there that has my last static line, um, meaning the last jump I jumped, uh, military static line jump, and they presented to me when when I got back to the airfield. It's a long process, if I told you. Is that the barbed wire one? No, we, oh. we'll get to that one. Okay. But the um, it's the yellow one when you walk straight in and you look up and it has a yellow uh, cord to it yeah. and it has a silver snap hook. And again, that's what you hook up to the anchor line cable, and when you jump out in four seconds, you feel a jerk, and that's the chute opening. And there's a safety that stays on a plane when we exit the airplane, the aircraft, and he marked it because he don't take them down right then. He takes them down after the last jump, jumper jumps, and everybody's flying out. I mean, everybody's doing their thing, and the plane is flying back to um, the airfield, the pack shed, as we call it. They're flying back there. So he marked it to say this one was Sergeant Major Lloyd's last jump. Very cool. And uh, when I got there, they were there before us, of course, because once we hit the ground, you know, then we get on transportation and ride back to where unless we're walking. But uh, he said, hey, Sergeant Major, this is for you. And I said, well, you know, he said, that was the last one. He said, it's, my, it's yours. I marked it when I grabbed your static line. And it kind of choked me up because, you know, I never expected that. But it was something, you know, I look up at every, every time and I look – you know, it's the last one. I would never jump again uh, in that form of fashion. Um, but the barbed wire one, that's the one from the uh, DMZ when I was stationed in Korea. It, you, they have them as um, gifts at a certain, when you go to the DMZ, they have a gift shop there. But it's some of the first initial wire of the DMZ of uh, North and South Korea. Wow. The, uh, the division between the North and South Korea. So uh, I, I look at that because I was actually, again, stationed close to the DMZ, and I got to go to the actual DMZ to uh, almost toe-to-toe with the uh, North Korean soldier um, on the North Korean border. There's no wire there anymore. It's just soldiers standing there at the at the border, and, you know, we went face-to-face, toe-to-toe, just, you know, looking. But, you know, it was a great experience because, you know, to be there and hear about what's going on now and what happened years before I even joined the military. I'm like, you know, this is history for me. Memorable moments, memorable times. Now, what was it like looking into his, like, did you look into each other's eyes? Yes, it was almost, I can feel my breathing on him. I assume he was breathing, but (laughs) he had also shades where I couldn't look into his eyes. But it wasn't nothing like sticking up, uh, making facial gestures. I just went as close as I knew I could yeah. and stood there and looked at him. Yes. And, you know, I said, okay, let me back up before my momentum pushed me forward. And then it'd be an uh, incident, right. where, uh, you know, with North and South Korea. I said, well, you know, and, and, and that's done. Uh, everybody has done that, um, you know, and then, you know, you're not supposed to point 
at the North Korean the headquarters that was there, but you can look over there and you can see their leaders looking out over into the south side. Um, again, very, very, um, very memorable moments, you know, puckered time moments. Right. It's a pucker factor. Right. Yes. Now you've been to, were you, did you, were you in Germany? Yes, Germany twice. My first tour was uh, Mainz, Germany, and there's another pucker factor. Uh, <laughs> back when they had the, the German border, a Russia border, this was right before the wall came down. Um, there was a place called the Fulda Gap where we had to guard, and the Soviet aircraft, Hein D, is what it is. It's a Hein D uh, attack helicopter. And I'm up in the sh- guard shack, you know, right at the border of the Fulda Gap, which is East Germany and West Germany. And I'm sitting there in their guard shack looking out over into the east. And then the helicopter flies right up to the shack where you can look and kind of see. And he had his hand on the trigger of the weapon, the big mounted munition weapon. And he was smiling and he backed off and flew away. And I'm like a young PFC. I'm like, what was going on? You know, I didn't, you know, I later realized, okay, yeah, you know. He, he, anything could have happened. Slip of the trigger again. Right. And, you know, it was just, I guess, you know, fun to him, joke to them. But I was like, whoa, you know, I was, I'm, wow. You know, it, it kind of it startled me for a minute. And then as I grew older and learned more culture and know more military tactics and all, I understood, okay, this this is, you know, what was going on. Man. Propaganda type things like That's that. That's terrifying. Yeah, it, it was, yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't dwell on it a lot, but, it, you know, I think about it now and I'm like, ah, I was involved in some stuff like that, right. you know, because, again, of the division right, right there. But then later on, um, this was that was in 86, 1986. But then later on in 1989, that's when the wall fell. Uh, so a lot of that got wiped out. Did you go into the military right after high school? Yes, June 9th of 1985, I graduated. July 10th, I was in the military. Wow. I didn't waste no time. I wanted, that's all I wanted to be was a, a soldier. I wanted to, like I said, jump out of airplanes, blow up stuff, and, and, and uh, landmines and things like that. And I got to do all of that. I got to be an Army drill sergeant where I molded civilians into soldiers uh, for 26 months. And that was a good time of my career um, stationed at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And a lot of folks say, well, I can't see you as a drill sergeant. You, you, you know, you're not that rough and tough. I said, well, it's a persona you have to put on. Mm-hmm. I said, because I treated them, you know, as humans. You know, you see your movies out there, your Private Ryans and your um, Major Pains and all of that. Yeah. I said, but, you know, I, I there was moments where I was like that. But for the most part, I wanted to mold these young civilian male and female, into Army soldiers to better their life, to better themselves. I didn't have a um, bad life grew up. I grew up on a farm, so I knew what hard work was. I knew what discipline was. I was disciplined a lot by my dad and, and uncles and things like that. So, you know, Drill Sergeant yelling at me when I went through basic training. It was like, okay, yeah, you sound like my dad. Okay, I just <laughs> need to do what I need to do right. so I can keep you from yelling at me. But... My thing when I was the drill sergeant, yeah, it was a lot of times that I did yell, but then at times, you know, I I wasn't that yeller who just yell every day, yell every day, yell every yell every day. No, I 
if I had to yell at a group to make sure everything was squared away, okay, I did that. But on a constant, no, because you, you just, you don't, you start getting zoned out. Okay, here he come. Here come Drillson Lloyd. Right. He's going, we're going to zone him out because he's just going to talk, yell, 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 just to hear himself yell. But I wasn't like that. So again, so again, folks asking me, well, you just drill sergeant, you know, you don't seem like you could have been. Well, yes, I was, <clears throat> but I just wasn't the um, terror all the time. Right. But there's times where I would say, and I've lived to this saying to now, I used to jump up and kick the sun out of the sky. <laughs> because I was just, you know, when when they knew they got drill sergeant mad, or they got first sergeant mad, or they got sergeant Lloyd mad, or they got sergeant major mad, they knew we messed up. Right. He's mad. We messed up. Let's fix it. Let's fix it. And that's quick. Yeah, quick. <laughs> quick. Yes. Were you the first in your family? No, I, I followed my uh, dad was a retired reserve for twenty one years, and I followed my brother. Um, but I just chose to do a little more than what they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always have, have applauded me, applauded me, you know, for doing what I did. Again, Dad didn't want to jump out on airplanes. My brother didn't want to. I wanted to, you know, because I was just wanted to do that. And uh, you know, the, again, they applauded me for what doing. I have sister; she retired Air Force. I have one sister with four of us: two boys, two girls. I'm the youngest of the four, but the Sister above me, she was like, "No, I don't want no parts of no military. Y'all can have it." Mm-hmm. And she still was by that to this day. You know, she, I'm, y'all, y'all did it all for me. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, followed my, all of my family, mother. I mean, my mother, my mom, no, dad, yes, brother, sister, and then me. Wow. And what sort of education did you go on to receive? I received a bachelor's in business administration throughout my military career. I, I, I did it here, did it there, because, again, that's why I went into the military, because I didn't want to do schooling. Uh, I just wasn't a school type. I wanted to, you know, get in the dirt and do things and all. Um, but I needed education for the promotion track, you know, because we the different leadership schools I went to, education was involved. So I said, well, it's free. Let me go ahead and get it, and I can go ahead and do it. Um, as I have, and finally, you know, graduated with my master, excuse me, my bachelor's, and then went to start my master's. I just hadn't completed it yet. Well, what advice and motivation do you have for um, individuals who are getting out of military life and looking at college, and what would you say to them? Um, I would say... Don't rush to failure. Find out what's best for you because college is not for everyone, and especially coming out of the military because if you were uh, in the trenches, as I call it, you know, you might want to look at a trade school versus sitting and writing a 12-page paper, which, you know, we did in the military. But if you were strictly hands-on person, you, you want to look at trade school because you can use your VA benefits there or versus, you know, what type of school. Just don't think, oh, there's a university there. I need to go there. I need to take these classes because I want to use my GI Bill. But then when you get in classes, like overwhelming because you've been around a diverse group of people, but then you have students that come straight out of high school and their mindset is totally different. So, again, you want to, you know, find out what you want to do. You Do you want to continue working like you worked in the military, you particular job set, job skill, or do you want to, um, you know, do something different, learn something, a trade, 
uh, different type of trade. Um, but again, look at what's out there for you. You know, get transition, pay attention in the transition classes of, you know, find out what area you're going to and then find out what's there. Um, because I've seen a lot of students, well, soldiers, service persons get out and they rush to failure because, again, when they're out, their military benefits and pay sort of start dwindling down versus, you know, anyone who's retired. Uh, if you just get out, you know, and you're done, have you done your time, you, you get out, okay, everything kind of cuts. So you're looking for your next role of income. You know, you're not you're looking for a job, but you're looking, okay, this is my income if I'm going to school. So let me enroll in Polk State College. And then they get here and they're like, oh, I got to write papers. I got to do English one. I got to do English two, psychology. And that's overwhelming to them where they know is when we say, let's go kick down the door, we have a task, again, condition and standard, but it's not I don't have to write about it a lot. You just have to show me how to do it. And I'm going to remember where to put my foot on this door hinge or whatever, things of the sort. Um, but you want to make sure that you, again, don't rush to fail. I've always said that, and I, I believe in that. Don't rush to fail. You find out which school is best for you. Find out if it has a job fit for you. Because we get out, we as veterans get out and think that all our military experience translates into civilian education. It can if the school can translate it and evaluate it properly. Um, but it's not necessarily so. So don't, you know, think, OK, I'm going to get out 27 years and then I can automatically have a degree here at Polk State College where I didn't have to sit in many classes. Not necessarily so. You're going to have to do some of the maths or Englishes or whatever because it doesn't it's not equivalent to what. Now, there are schools out there that, you know, will take all of my military or their military education and turn it into civilian. But, you know, then you get into the accreditation part of it. Um, you know, the equality of the classes. So then when you try to leave that school and come to a traditional IHL, then you're looking like, well, they don't accept my classes from this school. They don't accept my degree from this school because it's accredited different and it's not equal. So, so they need to come see you. If they come see me, I'm, I'm going to lead them to the best avenue I can and will. Um, again, that's my passion for them because I've served alongside them, before them, uh, paid the way for them. Um, again, I, I take pride in taking care of them because it's something that's still in me, uh, even retired after 27 years, being retired for seven years now. So I still have that passion of taking care of veterans and their dependents because they're still slotted as veterans under, under benefits, but I take care of the Army's the Marine sergeant's daughter or son, the same way I would take care of the actual Marine sergeant who is a veteran, uh, labeled veteran, uh, but the student, the, the dependent veteran, I take care of them as well. That's, that's how I'll say it like that. And so students can reach you by visiting polk.edu slash veterans or emailing veterans at polk.edu. Yes, they can reach me by that. Yes, that'd be the best way. Do you have any, like a specific success story? of a veteran that came to Polk State and graduated and sort of found their niche? Yes. Um, he just graduated. He's challenged by eyesight. 
His name is Phil Lieberman. He's a warrior, hard charger. He walked across the stage with limited eyesight. I, I don't. I tell him I don't call him blind. I say he has limited eyesight, but I see his challenges because he took the. He has the accommodations of the uh, disabilities and, and and services, but he never gave up. He never gave up, and he would always come and ask for my guidance or my help. He would call me Sergeant Major, and I would call him Ranger because of where we served. He served in in different units, and I call him Ranger. And again, he called me Sergeant Major. And if I am anywhere, and if I see him with his uh, age stick, I'm yelling out, Ranger, and he knows where I'm at, and he knows who I am. So, yeah, he's a success story for me because, again, I saw him walk across the stage this past graduation with pride, and and his parents and grandparents was with him um, to see him through, and he had a great success story with him. What did uh, he go to? What was his degree? He he got the liberal arts because he's wanting to transfer to a university. But you know the struggles he had in trying to get those classes accommodated for him, all of those accommodations, also the struggles he had, you know, getting to class because he had limited transportation, mm-hmm. so he had to catch bus here and bus mm-hmm. there, and things like that. So that that again, that's that's why he's my success story. Mm. I just want folks to understand um, about veterans. We, 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 we're just like the, the next person who never served. We don't think we're better than those who have served or not, not have served. Uh, we just know what we've been through. You know, a lot of us have been through different things. I've been through a lot in 27 years, and the person who's only served three years has been through a lot in his or her years. So I don't compare those type of years like that. You know, so I've been in 27 years. You don't know what, you know, I know what his level or their level was at the three years because I did those three years. But beyond my three years, you know, again, I still, I never forgot where I came from. Put it that way. I never forgot where I came from. And I also want folks to understand the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Memorial Day is a day of mourning. And we remember, we remember those who we lost in any battle or never came home to be with their loved ones. Veterans Day is to honor all who have served, living and not living. So I just want folks to get, you know, understand again what those differences between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. It's good to say happy Veterans Day. It might not be too good to say happy Memorial Day because, again, for me, why is it so happy? I lost brothers and sisters in arms. I never understood that either. A lot of people say, Happy Memorial Day. And it's like, I, it's, it is frustrating mm-hmm. to not, you know, they think they're saying something nice and it's like, right. really, it's, you're not understanding right. the concept. Right. Um, what I find particularly interesting about your department is the stuff that you do um, outside, so, like the displays that you put around campus. Like last Memorial Day, you put up a really neat display of a table with salt and a lemon and a plate, and it was a place setting for a soldier. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. When I put that up back for Memorial Day, it was, um, again, something I know I'd never done, and I felt Polk State never saw. Um, too bad that it wasn't 
in the view where everyone could see it because of the summer term that it it was in. Folks are not um, not a lot of folks on campus. Students had if had I put it in the student center during that term, I could have uh, you know draw out a big crowd and understand it. But that's again the fallen soldier memorial to honor and recognize and remember those who have not come home. And then if you saw it, it has a listing of what every item on there is for and what it represents to do to, to, to folks to read. It had a, I had a readout on there. So again, everybody could read what it stood for, the salt stood for, what the lemon stood for, what the inverted uh, wine glass was for, the candle. The yellow ribbon around the, the yellow candle. The yellow ribbon around the candle, around the rose. Um, things like that. I could have added more to it, but I didn't want it to get any more deeper than it, you know, than it is already is. Yeah, no, it was, it was really beautiful. And, um, you had that little write up about what each individual thing, and it was just a tablecloth on a, in a chair and just sort of like a place setting and really just to remember that they are gone. Right, exactly. And it's not the time... Memorial Day was not the time, it, it, excuse me, it is the time to remember, but it could be set up any time throughout any part of the year. But I saw fit for Memorial Day that it be set up because of what, you know, what I was doing for that time. Mm -hmm. it, if you go to a VFWs or MVETS places, you might find one in there year round where it's set up. But again, I chose to set it up when uh, it was leading into the Memorial Day holiday, so I could um, inform and enlighten what it means for Polk and represent Polk, represent the fallen comrades uh, that have went to Polk. Now, I don't know how many have went and have are missing, have got killed in action, but I'm quite sure there are some that, that have been we opened in 1964. So definitely. Yes, definitely. 1,000%. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that was what I did for them. Excellent. To, pre to the present time of Memorial Day when it happened. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Polkcast today, Byron. Um, and thank you for your service to this country and to Polk State College. Um, it really means a lot. You're welcome. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I just want to make a difference of what I do and of because what have happened to me and what I've done. So I want to make a difference. Make it just another kind of free form rock and roll. Make you groove your soul and maybe want to tap your toe. Just another kind of free form rock and roll. Make you groove your soul and maybe want to tap your toe. Woo! Yeah! Woo! Yeah!